Good morning, friends and followers. This is Northwoods Witch coming to you this morning from the first touches of autumn creeping in. Creeping in the corners, the kids are back in school, the cycle is turning. And the cycle turning is actually one of the pieces that I uh, pulled out my microphone to talk to you all about today to share with you. I had a lovely email from a listener named Laura. Thanks, Laura, um, who wrote and asked, you know, how do I talk about my practice? How do I talk about my spirituality, my beliefs, my worldview with my kids? Which is a fantastic question that I'm super excited to dig into with you all. Um, And it also lets me talk about something that I've been planning to bring up for a little bit, which is uh, the Wheel of the Year. So I've got three kids. One's 13, one's five, one's one and a half. Um, And I have done different things with all of them. I've been a different parent for all of them. This is kind of where I've landed having done this for a little while and <laughs> watched my 13-year-old grow up and see what uh, what has been successful and what is not. Although, P.S., 13-year-olds don't like anything. Okay, actually, before I dig into the, the specifics, I also want to share. Um, I, I raise my kids in a way that gives them choice. So I I don't raise them with anything like hard and fast. There's a lot of, well, here's what I think, and here's my experience. Um, what do you think, right? What do you, what do you experience? How do you feel about this thing? But I realized early on with my, with my daughter, with my first kiddo, um, that you still can't raise them in a vacuum. Like if you try to raise them in a vacuum, then just everybody else's stuff comes and fills in that vacuum. So if you don't ever talk to your kid about religion or spirituality or what you think, other people's ideas will filter into their brains and they're going to make meaning out of all of that stuff. So kids make meaning out of everything around them. You might as well add in the stuff that you care about to their meaning-making process. Here's where I've landed with my own kiddos. The first thing that we do is we celebrate the Wheel of the Year. And the Wheel of the Year is a symbol and the name for kind of like an umbrella neo-pagan set of religious festivals. So there's eight of them in the year. And the Wheel of the Year itself uh, is, is kind of quintessentially pagan, um, neo-pagan in the expression that it exists in the U.S. today, uh, because it's a it's a set of religious holidays. It's a set of festivals that are based around the changing of the seasons um, and the solar events that are happening throughout the year. They're also uh, holidays that were celebrated long ago, specifically by the ancient Celts in the British Islands and in the the wider spread of Celtic culture throughout Europe. I consider this kind of like the mythical past, the, mis- the mythical history of the Wheel of the Year, because there's really not a lot of um, hard evidence in fact, there's some hard evidence that this is not exactly the case, um, that these holidays were celebrated specifically in the way that we celebrate them today, that they had the same meanings that we hold today, um, or that they honored the same entities, deities, uh, that you might choose to, to honor on these holidays um, today with your own family. 
And I say that's sort of quintessentially pagan because we don't have, there's so much information that we don't have. Uh, you know, Christianity and empire, just as, as a matter of course, um, destroyed and villainized a lot of the, the pagan celebrations and pagan worldview um, of the places when it came in and took over. And so the way that we do scholarship, the way that we learn about uh, what happened pre-Christianity and the places that our ancestors came from or the places that we're interested in, um, the information comes in kind of like little bits and pieces and frequently not in very clear lines. And so an example might be um, archaeology. Uh, for example, my spouse and I went to Ireland a few years ago before the pandemic and um, did like a double, we did a double pilgrimage where uh, one of us was, you know, interested in, in kind of feeling into all of the deep ancient places and how they've lived into the modern era. And one of us was um, touring all of his favorite Game of Thrones sites. I'll leave you to figure out which one of us was which. You know, we, we visited some really, really old stuff. And one of the places we visited uh, was, its English name is Newgrange, and its um, its ancient name um, is Bruna Boyne. And so we we went to visit this, this it's a burial mound. It's a site, um, it's, it's like, 5,000 years old, so it's older than the pyramids, it's older than um, Stonehenge, and it's only partially excavated, like this one part um, this one part is excavated well, uh, and then there's a whole bunch of other mounds that they're still there's just, there's been people living in this place for so long <laughs> that, that everywhere has stuff underneath it so in Brunaboyne, in, in Newgrange this mound um, that's 5,000 years old, there are things that people, um things that we know, right? Things that we know from being able to measure them, I guess. Like, we know it's 5,000 years old. Um, we know that it's made up of stones that were quarried from like up to 40 different miles away, uh, different parts of them. There's quartz and there's granite and there's some other pieces. Um, but they weren't quarried from right there. They're quarried from like far away and brought to this place for a specific reason. The reason we don't know, um, there's uh so it's built so that on the winter solstice the back of the cavern um is is illuminated so it's it's aligned with the movement of the planet and the movement of the sun um in such a way that uh, this one day a year uh the sun is in the right angle to to enter the cavern um and in the back of that cavern is um, our car there are carvings all over, but like one of the one of the most famous carvings in all of Ireland and there in like Celtic mythology or you know Celtic spirituality. Um, that tri-spiral, right? That tri-spiral is actually inside of this mound that's illuminated on the on the winter solstice. Um, so we went and we 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 got to go inside. We got to go look at all of the stuff and go inside of the the mound. Um, and our, our tour guide was this curmudgeonly old dude um, who walked with walked with a cane. And he groused the entire time. I mean, he knew everything. But he groused the entire time up there um, about the fact that people, so many people felt entitled to make interpretations about what this site meant and, like, what it was for and why they had built it, the people who built it. Um, and he said, there's books and books and books and everybody's got a theory. But, and he kind of, like, glared at us all. He's like, but... No one knows for sure, right? No one knows for sure. So you can read all the books you want to, but no one knows for sure. 
um, what all of this stuff means. And the reason is because there's nothing written. We'd have no, we have nothing that we can directly understand um, from the builders of this place as to its purpose and why they built it. Right? There's no written record. Um, and that, that's another piece of it, is that a lot of this uh, is based in, in oral history that was passed down through generations. When it was written down, was written down um, in the time of monks. So it's gone through, you know, the folks who've converted to Christianity, people who are actively practicing and propagating Christianity, and then those are the folks who are sharing the stories. Um, whether it's out of an interest in local folklore, an interest in their, you know, their own past, um, or sometimes an interest in just straight up demonizing and villainizing um, practices that don't fit within Christianity. So basically, the records that we have of how people existed and how people practiced um, religion and spirituality in the days before Christianity, specifically in Europe, um, which is where a lot of American pagans draw their inspiration from, um, it's it's just not solid, right? It's just not solid. It's not a straight line. It's not an unbroken history. I tend to think of this all as like, again, a mythic history, right? The mythic history of the Wheel of the Year is that this is how our ancestors practiced. This is how our ancestors lived in relationship with the earth, relationship with the seasons, and cyclically in their own lives and their own communities. So this is an expression of how... Um, how we rebuild relationship with the land, rebuild relationship with the seasons, and rebuild a healthy relationship with life and death and rebirth and the cycle that we all experience as humans on this planet. All right, so the Wheel of the Year as it exists today is eight holidays located around the year, each six weeks apart. Um, four of those holidays are the solar events of the year, like the solstices and the equinoxes. And then in between each of those, um, are the other festivals. So, uh, it goes like this. Um, on the 31st of October is Samhain, Halloween. That's the end of the year. Yule is, um, winter solstice. So it's like somewhere around the 21st of December. Imbolc comes next in the early part of February. Ostara comes um, for the spring equinox. Beltane is May Day, so right around the 1st of May. Litha is the name for summer solstice, um, and so that's around the 21st of June. Uh, Lamas, or Lugnasad, is the 1st of August. And Mabon is uh, the last equinox, the autumnal equinox, so around the 21st of September. So again, these names for each of these holidays um, are somewhat of a modern invention. They, they have roots um, in things that could be ancient and real. We don't know. We don't know for sure. Um, but these are, these are kind of standard names for the holidays around the wheel of the year. They really came out of the resurgence of the witchcraft movement in the 50s and 60s in the U.S. Um, and in the British Isles. So feel free to use them. Feel free to check into um, if you have a particular pathway that you're following, like a lineage pathway or ancestor pathway. Uh, what were the names of the seasonal festivals that your people celebrated? Um, and then, you know, bring that forward into how could I make those things relevant in my life today? Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I use the Wheel of the Year as a way, basically as a vehicle, to do an activity with my kids, to practice paying attention to how the seasons change, to practice paying attention to the cycle of the year. You know, when it comes around again, we get to be like, oh, hey, we're baking bread, it's February. Um, remember when we did this last year? Look how much better you are at baking bread. Look at how silly it was last year when you, you know, only made this little tiny lump. But it was so great, and now look at you, you're braiding it. You know, things like that just are noticing and marking the passing of time, um, but with something that's a physical activity that uh, hopefully my goal is to continue to imbue those things with meaning and offer that meaning to my kiddos as they um, choose how they live into the world. So that would be my first suggestion um, for anyone who is thinking about trying to build pagan practice or, or include pagan worldview um, with their family is to to pick things that are tangible, physical activities. And I think the Wheel of the Year is a really handy thing to tie those activities to because they're something that you can do every year with your fam. Um, and let it be something that becomes, you know, becomes a tradition for your family. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode on the Wheel of the Year and how to talk to your children about spirituality and witchy worldview. I hope you found some resonance or some inspiration, and I would love to hear from you all if you have either celebrations that you enjoy around the Wheel of the Year or other ones that are based in seasons or saturated witchiness that you share with your families, traditions, and your households, or other ideas you have about how to talk to kids about religion and spirituality that might be out of the mainstream or specifically with a witchy bent. I'd love to hear about it. In the meantime, my gratitude for your being here. It's so fun to be able to do this with you all. I thank you, Laura, again for emailing with a question that sparked uh, some useful thought for me and then the opportunity to write this podcast for you all. I look forward to joining you all in this space again soon. And until that time, be well, friends.